30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by OnStar. Vehicle theft. Most of us think it's something that happens to someone else. But if it ever does happen to you, OnStar can help. OnStar has stolen vehicle slowdown. OnStar advisors can work with law enforcement to locate and remotely slow down your vehicle so that authorities have the chance to apprehend the crook who took your car. OnStar can help get your vehicle back quicker and safer. If vehicle theft happens to you, turn to OnStar. Because at a moment like that, the last thing you want to be is alone. Get OnStar on your team today. OnStar, be safe out there. OnStar is available on Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. Requires select paid plan, cell reception, GPS signal, and working electrical system. Doesn't prevent theft, damage, or loss. Details at OnStar.com. Hello and welcome to 30 for 30 Plus. My name is Jody Avergan. This is our bonus feed where we explore 30 for 30 films and other things. Now, this is my regular reminder that if you want to hear our original audio documentaries, find those in our main show feed. Search for 30 for 30 Podcasts in whatever podcast player. But you are here today and now it's time for a conversation about the latest big 30 for 30 documentary film. One about an iconoclastic basketball player, one of the more unique personalities in not just basketball, but all of sports. The force of nature that he was on that basketball court was undeniable. He did change mainstream sports culture when the walls needed to be rattled. He is a lone rebel. Dennis Rodman is singular. Dennis Rodman first made a mark on the NBA as a shy young player that outworked and outhustled everyone on the court, earning respect as the league's best rebounder, really redefining what rebounding is, and as a defensive player. But as his career developed, so did his personality. By the time he'd won a fifth NBA championship, this time with the Chicago Bulls in 1998, his wild, cross-dressing fashion sense, famous girlfriends, and public antics actually made him a rival to one of his A-list teammates. Yes, he was as famous as Michael Jordan. It's like saying that somebody like had become more popular in Vatican City than the Pope. The new 30 for 30 film, Rodman for Better or Worse, tries to understand the roots and legacy of Rodman's persona. And I'll say that this film doesn't take the easy way out, which would just be kind of recounting his antics over the years. It really does reveal a lot about his complicated and fraught childhood, as well as the destructive behavior that he still battles with today. There's no one stopping Dennis Rodman but Dennis Rodman. If I have anybody to blame for me being who I am, there's only one person, that's me. I've got to blame me, nobody else. The new Rodman film is now available to watch on demand on our streaming service, ESPN+. Todd Capistasi is the director of the film, and he joins me now. Welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast, and congratulations on the release of your new film. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you don't have to reveal too much, but I will say that right right before we started recording, you were telling me that the name of this film, which is for better or worse, was something that was in flux until the last minute. How did you land on that title? I'm curious. Yeah, it was a little bit in flux because we we had tossed around a lot of names and kind of had a, a very simple working title of just Rodman. But then we wanted to come up with sort of a subtitle. So for better or worse, is sort of obviously in reference to one of his kind of biggest pop culture moments in 1996, right after their the Bulls first championship in Chicago. He famously for a book signing, put on a, a wedding dress and paraded around Fifth Avenue um, in New York City. Basketball star Dennis Rodman had announced he'd get married, but he showed up as the bride. It was bedlam. 
It was literally like Princess Diana or something's getting married. Obviously, the, the sort of title fits for him, too, because you kind of got to either love him or hate him. And for better or worse, he's he's Dennis and he's going to be Dennis. So, yeah, um, yeah we thought the, the title sort of worked on a couple levels there. I think one of the things that struck me the most in watching this, it reminded me that that Dennis Rodman, maybe more than most athletes, like had a lot of really distinct and different phases, even just in his playing career. I mean, in the NBA, there's this time as a pretty straightforward player with the Pistons and then he joins up with the Bulls and he's part of those super teams and then he starts to step out and show his personality and then you have a sort of final act of his career. So I'm just wondering how you went about cracking that with someone who had had so many different phases and on obviously on the court and off the court as well. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I think when we set out to tell Dennis's story that the goal wasn't for it to be sort of this like biopic yeah. sort of biography of Dennis but it's like once you interview 50 people on his story and you start kind of digging into like you said there's these very distinct chapters he had his childhood in Dallas which a bunch of interesting things happened a lot of people thought I was like they thought I was gay because I was always with my sisters all the time I just get bullied all the time man I mean I always let people beat me up a lot because I never would fight back he had this crazy experience in rural Oklahoma for his college experience when I was living there in Durant People call you that N-word. Why you hear your effing N-word? I'm still naive about being black in a white community. I was just trying to figure out, am I going to fit in? Then obviously he has this, again, very specific chapter in, in Detroit Then through his NBA career. Dennis Rodman never envisioned, never felt he deserved the success or the accolades that he received. And I think his entire career was basically equivalent to an out-of-body experience. We sort of just realized that all these parts of his life dominoed into each other in such a specific and important way. The big turning point in the doc is the trouble that he has at the end of his Pistons career and then emerges, you know, what we all kind of know now is the Dennis Rodman persona, which happened in San Antonio after leaving Detroit. It was crazy. He's changing his hair, he's doing tattoos, he's getting piercings. I wasn't trying to be this individual trying to stand out. No, it just happened. Rodman with three! Well, we told you, blondes have more fun. The idea that this kind of individuality or this sort of self-expression would be accepted and enjoyed, this sort of maverick attitude that he had. No, no, this isn't what sports culture wanted back then. Um, It was tricky, but I think we sort of we're able to give the viewer this kind of, like you said, sweeping cast of kind of what happened throughout Dennis's life. That's that's really interesting. Your notion of it being a domino effect and sort of being linear in Dennis's life. I actually thought a lot about circles in this and kind of this notion of Dennis Rodman constantly circling around who he really was and every chapter of his life sort of being a reflection of just like never being able to hone in and, and find that sort of center of of who he is and how to be himself. But are you implying in this notion of it being a linear progression that he has been becoming more himself? Is it it something that we should think of as progress over the course of his life? No, I don't think it's progress necessarily. I don't know that the Dennis Rodman that we see now is, is, is more evolved than the Dennis that was in Detroit. I just think things happened to him that probably haven't happened to a lot of people. Um, 
ever that kind of just made this person eventually. And, yeah. you know, I, it, it's sad and a lot, I don't think his story is tragic, but I, I do think when, when you watch the doc, you do hopefully see the progression from what I saw as this very sweet, shy, quiet kid who Dennis is still very sweet and shy, but now he's got this sort of persona that he created to live up to. And I think he sometimes does that. And, you know, he would tell you that he, you know, in all his, people around him would tell you that, you know, he sometimes does that in destructive ways. Were you about to say there was a kind of a version of Dennis that you felt like was quote unquote, your favorite or, or closest to what you felt like is, is his genuine self? Yeah, I think, I, I think the Detroit years were that, I mean, I think the early Detroit years, um, I think his childhood, as he describes it, and, you know, all these things are through his perspective and his his mom gives her perspective on Dennis's childhood. But I think Dennis felt, you know, outcasted in high school and sort of overshadowed by his sisters and he was quiet and he didn't think he was attractive and he was terrible at sports and he was small and scrawny and bullied and people called him gay and, you know, all this stuff. And And I don't think he was particularly motivated in life because of all those things and stayed at home with his mom. And eventually his mom kicks him out of the house. And, um, you know, I think that had a really strong effect on him. Um, goes to Oklahoma, obviously, um, for, for college and has some success there, but then he gets to Detroit and I really think he finds love and family. And I think that's kind of what Dennis has been searching for a lot of his life is just this feeling of belonging and love and it's this pretty desperate search I think we provided an environment in a community where he can walk into the locker room and be whatever he wanted to be on that day and there was no judgment that is just love when they said we were family it felt like it the togetherness that that Pistons team had was a very important thing to Dennis. It provided the stability that he needed. It was a structure. It was friendship. It was all these things. That was the happiest and the most pure he ever was. John Sally has a has a quote in the doc where he says something like, "You know, Dennis never thought it was going to end. He thought we were all going to retire Pistons and then open, you know, a bar." Um, you know, down the street from the palace at Auburn Hills and sort of spend our days reminiscing about, you know, the good old times with the Pistons. And then one day he wakes up and everyone's gone. Um, And I didn't think he saw that coming and that, you know, kind of ruined him in a lot. Well, you know, it's hard because what it gave us is this amazing and interesting and, you know, iconic and iconoclastic basketball player in Dennis Rodman. But I think it also started to cause some, you know, trouble for him. So I wonder if you can also then talk about the fact that, as you described, we have this moment with the Pistons where he is comfortable and supported and, you know, most himself. Uh, But of course, that chapter ends in one of the darker periods of his life, which is full of lots of dark periods, which is, you know, a moment where he's sitting in a parking lot with a gun outside of the Pistons practice facility and, and contemplating suicide. I just went over there to the palace. I went just parked right there in the parking lot and I had a gun. And he's got his shoe and sock off, which is how you, you know, you are able to shoot yourself with a rifle. And I just kept looking at the palace. I just kept looking over there, like just thinking, what the fuck? You know, I know it's a cowardly thing to say, but 
I didn't have no idea what to do. I think the fact that I just didn't care. So, you know, how does it get to that point and what did you learn about that moment in Dennis's life? In his autobiography that he released right after the Bulls' first championship, uh, Bad As I Want to Be, he talks about that. It sort of starts as this kind of like big metaphor for, you know, I wanted to kill that other Dennis who was sort of sad and mopey and needed this family and was so sensitive to everything and was hiding his, you know, quote unquote, true self. And it wasn't a suicide attempt. It was just I wanted to kill that other person. And, you know, looking back, maybe a year after that suicide attempt or five years, that was an easy, I think, narrative for him to say. And I don't, I'm not saying that's wrong and that's his sort of truth to tell. I, I just think that he just got to a point where, and he says it in the doc, he just, things were so bad. And a lot of things were were happening to Dennis at that point. I mean, he, he had this very tumultuous relationship with um, this woman, Annika Bakes, who he had a child with. They were divorced. He thought she was, you know, taking his daughter away from him. Chuck Daly's leaving. This family that he he thought was going to be there forever was gone. I think he hated basketball at the time, didn't want to play. He was just so confused and probably ill-equipped emotionally to to figure it out. And he just didn't know what to do. So, you know, yeah. he found himself in the parking lot and contemplating these things. And, you know, to him, he decided that day that he wasn't going to be this person anymore um, and he needed to change who he was becoming so he, he certainly did that Coming up after the break we try to understand the person Dennis would become and look at his efforts to conquer his demons Thirty for Thirty Podcasts is brought to you by Delta Airlines Delta flies to 300 cities around the world That's 300 cities where everyone does the same things you do. That's 300 cities where the people in those 300 cities think they're the only ones who know about that one place. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of the other 299 cities. 300 cities where people sing in the car or in the shower or both poorly. Delta isn't flying to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart in the first place. Delta, keep climbing. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by State Farm. Whether in the game of basketball or in life, having an MVP on your side makes all the difference. In basketball, a multi-talented elite playmaker who can be called upon in crunch time not only helps the team succeed, but makes the players around them better. In life, your State Farm agent strives to be your MVP, ready to come through in the clutch when you need it the most. Whether it's buying a new home, coping with a car accident, or building the foundation for your future, you can feel confident knowing you don't have to go it alone. With a State Farm agent on your team, you'll be well prepared for whatever life brings your way. He was an insecure young man for a lot of justifiable reasons who never really completely grew up. There were aspects of his personality that just screamed shyness, and there were other parts of his personality that just wanted to hog the spotlight. Dennis, in a lot of ways, was a very guarded individual who didn't want to be hurt emotionally by things again, and in some ways adopted this persona that was good for him and entertained other people. Who is the real Dennis Rodman? Everybody wants to know that, but they can't have that. I think a lot of people do look at Dennis Rodman and think 
this guy just never grew up and you know he's an overgrown child even to this day what do you make of that assessment of him yeah, I mean, I think that line is from Tom Wilson in reference to his Detroit years. And I just think his emotional development at that, at that point wasn't sort of at a normal level um, because of his childhood and maybe just also because of who Dennis was. He was just a shy kid. Um, I think he was trying to relive his childhood from Dallas that he sort of never really had. And now all of a sudden he's making a little money in the NBA. People know who he is. He's got this confidence. And I think he wanted to just like play video games all day. And, you know, John Sally would tell us he would just show up in his second year. He would just like show up at the arcade in, in Detroit at one of the malls. And people would just be like playing, you know, asteroids with him. <laughs> and people would start talking like, hey, Dennis Rodman in the arcade. So, you know, I think. It took Dennis, obviously, a long time to sort of catch up with everyone. And I think once he sort of had the opportunity to catch up, he got really, really, really famous and didn't probably need to grow up and had, Mm -hmm. you know, any woman in the world he wanted. And he had a lot of money and he had sort of fame. And yeah, I don't I don't know that Dennis sort of had the mat- the normal maturation process that a lot of us have just based on his circumstances, you know, in his childhood and college and then into the NBA. So there's this uh, 30 for 30 short. It's an animated short film called The Amazing Adventures of Wally and the Worm, I think it's called. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm sure you've seen it. And it's actually it's yep. actually really good. We did a bonus episode about it, I will say, mm-hmm. if people want to go listen to that. But you know, I won't recount all of it, but basically it centers around this trip that Dennis Rodman took while he was with the Bulls and this mm-hmm. trainer who has to kind of like babysit slash chase him around during this trip and it was in the middle of the season Rodman was injured and Phil Jackson who's the coach of the Bulls basically says like Dennis is not going to be is not the kind of person who's going to stick around and like rehab diligently in the middle of the season so let's let him go on a trip and blow off some steam and you know I thought of that as watching this and as we've been discussing here that's an example of someone Phil Jackson sort of recognizing who Dennis is and taking him for who he is and and accommodating that or understanding that. And and I just wonder, kind of, you look at Dennis's whole life. I mean, how many people in his life can you say got him in, in that way and understood what he needed in that way? Yeah, Phil told the story about how Dennis's... Dennis's sort of routine before games was pretty amazing. Phil would be on the, the whiteboard kind of going over game plan, and Dennis would just be nowhere to be found. He usually would would be showering when Phil was doing his sort of pregame kind of run through of stuff. And then he'd come, Phil said, usually about halfway or two thirds of the way through, you know, sort of Phil's Phil addressing the team. And he would just sit naked in the locker room with a towel on his head, sort of like not really paying attention. And then the, the team would get ready and get dressed and they would go out and Dennis would still be inside kind of slowly getting ready. And, you know, Michael and Scotty and the whole team would be like, come on, Dennis, are you going to, are you going to make it? And he's like, oh no, you guys go without me. And I just think Phil got that Dennis was going to do that and to yeah. ask him to to kind of do what Michael, Scotty, Tony, and like all these guys were doing wasn't going to happen. But it, it is amazing that that team was able to kind of also accept it. And Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, was also okay with this sort of renegade player in the locker room who wasn't really listening to the game plan. But I, I also think Michael understood that, God, this guy just goes out there and he's a maniac and he's going to get 20 rebounds and 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 – yeah. play his ass off so who cares but he if he sits naked in the locker room when phil's trying to go over game plan stuff so yeah well and the phil jackson stuff is also i mean it's just a reminder of something i think about a lot too which is you know when people talk about fairness and treating people fairly um or equally you know it often doesn't mean like everyone has the same standards it it, it should mean like 
you evaluate everyone and what they need and what they can contribute and you set them up in a position to do that. And that me- that might mean different standards for different people. And I think, you know, good coaches understand that, that it's not just my way or the highway or the law is the law for everyone. It's, it's about accommodating folks. Um, and it does seem like Dennis goes through phases where he has people who will do that for him and get him. And then as soon as he loses that support net, it like falls apart in sort of dramatic fashion. Um, and so, you know, I wonder just kind of in a larger sense, like whether you feel like Dennis is reaching a point or will ever reach a point where he can be stable almost despite his circumstances. Yeah, I mean, now he, he, he said it a lot in our interview. I mean, he's almost 60 years old. And I think it, it's interesting hearing him say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to settle down now. I'm trying to, you know, it's time to be a father. And he wants to reconnect with his mother. And they've always had a strained relationship. And he said in his interview many times that I, I'm just trying to be a normal person now. You know, I think there's obviously challenges for him with substance abuse, which we talk about in the in the doc and his alcoholism. And I think that he needs to overcome that probably first before he, you know, can kind of settle down and be the father he wants to be. But he's for the first time, I think, looking back at his life instead of just living in it moment by moment. It, it was almost like while he was sitting there, he was having these revelations yeah. about his life that that he had never thought about. But then when you think about his life, it's like when when what? did Dennis Rodman really have time? I mean, he was a few months ago. He was. You know, at a basketball game with Kim Jong-un in, yeah. in North Korea. And, you know, before that, he was, as he says, literally on a binge for 10 years where all he did almost every single day was drink and party. And then he was one of the most famous people on the planet with the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, I don't think Dennis Somehow we got this whole way and we didn't even mention Madonna. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's dated Madonna and Carmen Electra. And, um, you know, Dennis has lived a really interesting and 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 fun filled and packed packed life and i think at you know 58 he's he's probably finally saying to himself okay i have you know issues that i need to deal with and i I think he really is in his late 50s now thinking about those things so let's talk a little bit about north korea um you know it is the most kind of recent chapter in the dennis rodman story but but in many ways the most like perplexing. Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea. This is the leader of a country that is infamous for human rights abuses. He has repeatedly threatened the United States with destruction. One of the few things known about the secretive Kim's private life is that he was an NBA nut, especially big on Rodman's old team, the Bulls. I want to bridge a gap with North Korea. That's all I want. I want to open that door to talk to them. I don't think we're ever going to have real answers about what he was up to there. But what is your best guess at what Dennis Robin was trying to do by going to North Korea? And moreover, do you think he accomplished anything? I think he first went over there just because it's Dennis Rodman and he just like wanted the life experience and thought it was going to be a cool thing to go over there and probably didn't know what he was getting into. And once he went over there and he realized he was getting so much attention for it, um, I think he liked that. But I also think he did genuinely want to sort of you know, bring awareness. Dennis Rodman becoming the first American to meet North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Sir, thank you. You have a friend for life. I love him. I love you guys. Awesome. When you said you love Kim and think he's awesome, were you aware of his threats to destroy the United States and, and his regime's horrendous record on human rights? I understand what he's doing. I don't condone that. He's a good guy to me. Guess what? He's my friend. I just don't think Dennis had ever thought hard enough about how to to articulate what he was trying to do. 
But I don't, you know, I think he had good intentions and I, I don't think he was ever able to really sit and understand like why the things he were he was saying were wrong. But, you know, I think part of it was it was putting him back in the spotlight. And I think the other part of it was he did have this sort of genuine feeling that what he was doing was good and, and, and could be beneficial for the country and the relations between the two nations. So as you chronicled, Dennis was an athlete who talked about sexuality, expressed his sexuality in a way that a lot of athletes were not at the time. So how much, looking back, should we think of him as someone who had a real impact when it came to talking about those kinds of issues? Dennis Dennis should probably not get a ton of credit for being an advocate. And there's people in the doc who say, you know, Dennis just probably couldn't articulate his feelings on these subjects well enough to be an advocate. But, you know, putting the AIDS ribbon in your hair when there's that much homophobia, you know, during the AIDS epidemic is is a pretty, you know, brave, I would say, thing to do. And, and I think we sort of forget some of those things because, you know, it also devolved a little bit into parody, um, some of the things he was doing in, in, in that realm. But I think he had this genuine love and, and feeling um, for the gay community. And I think, you know, I think that comes across in the doc. And I think that's sort of one of Dennis's overlooked contributions, um, positive contributions. They was like my brothers and sisters because they were so loving. The gay community is so loving. I just gravitated to that. I can't stress enough how wild it seemed to mainstream America in the mid-90s that he was willing to say, yeah, I think about having sex with men or, yeah, it's okay to be gay. Dennis Rodman couldn't sit down and tell you why all this mattered. So in terms of being a role model, maybe that couldn't happen. But he freaked out a lot of people in the sports world, and that was wonderful. Okay, I'm going to start to wrap up, but I do I do want to ask you just, what is your favorite Dennis Rodman uh, hairstyle? <laughs> you know, I... I love a good sort of origin story when I when I watch docs, and I think one of the coolest origin stories in, in this doc is just the hair and sort of the evolution of that. I was with him when he was getting introduced in San Antonio. He had just been to see the movie Demolition Man, and so we go to this hair salon. He says, I want my hair dyed blonde. I want a mohawk like Wesley Snipes. That moment right there is the beginning, you know, I think, of like the massively famous Dennis Rodman that we kind of know now, the guy who dyes his hair and got all these tattoos and piercings before people were doing it and um, started expressing his sexuality and talking about, you know, um, things that weren't discussed in the sports world and this sort of macho world of, of sports entertainment, these sort of things weren't discussed and Dennis was talking about them and um, then puts on a wedding dress and does, you know, I just think that it's a long answer, but I think it's the blonde mohawk is my favorite because I think that was in a lot of ways the start of, you know, who we came to know as Dennis Rodman. Todd, thanks again for doing this and congratulations on the film. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Todd Capistasi is the director of the new 30 for 30 film Rodman for better or worse. You can watch it on our streaming service ESPN plus, which is available in the ESPN app and on all streaming devices. And of course, I will remind you that if you want to listen to any of the other bonus conversations we've done, they're in this feed. Just poke around and our audio documentaries are in the main 30 for 30 podcast feed. Okay, 
That's it. This episode was produced by Ryan Nantel with help from Mitra Caboli, Eve Wolf, Adam Bronstein, Jeff Arias, Matt Schleff, Brian Diostilio, and Aaron Leiden. My name is Jody Abergan. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30.